Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. For today, the title is Crossing the Line. Crossing the Line of God's Mercy and Grace. 1 Kings 21, 1 through 19. Have you ever crossed a line? You know, that, the line. I, I remember, think of parents. I, I remember crossing the line with my parents several times. Uh, one of the most memorable involved my brother Billy and his BB gun. Uh, I mean, they haven't told us in a while, but I, I, this is fit so perfect. Uh, Billy, when we all wanted BB guns. We grew up, you know, the Western era, you know, and uh, watching cowboy movies, and we all wanted a BB gun. And my mom made a rule, you can't have a BB gun until you're 11 years old. Why 11? Who knows? But that was way too late as far as we were concerned. We wanted our BB guns. But when we turned 11, you got a BB gun. I'll never forget it. It was um, Billy turned 11, and he got a BB gun. And he was a year, three months, 15 months older than me, so he got one before me. And I wanted one a lot more than, than he did. But he got this BB gun, and boy, did he rub it in. He just carried that BB gun around everywhere, you know, just rubbing it. And I said, Billy, can I hold your BB gun? No, you're not 11 yet, Chucky. You know, you can touch it, but you can't hold it. You know, and he tortured me, you know, and I was like, so mad. He wouldn't let me hold his BB gun. Even when it wasn't loaded, he wouldn't let me hold it. So he's going around, and my mom had a rule. We would go out hunting. I would follow him around as he's hunting. And, and my mom had a rule. You couldn't hunt near the house or barns because that was her animal sanctuary. You couldn't shoot any birds or animals or kill anything near the house or the barns. You had to be so many feet away from the house and barns. So she knew what she was doing. The ones around the house and barns were tame. You know, it's like the deer in our neighborhood, right? But the ones out in the woods were wild. You couldn't get near them. We couldn't kill anything. She knew it. So, so we were out looking and looking, never killing anything, never even getting close to shooting something. And we were always discouraged. And one day, I was walking by the corn crib, which is near the house and the barns, right? Uh, right between the house and the barns. Actually, we had this corn crib. It's like a giant cage, really. And you'd dump the corn in the top, and it would fill up this cage, and then you'd close up the top. And so the, it had a, a lid on it, and it's a giant cage, you know, 20 feet high. And a big wooden thing up the middle for air. And I went in, it was almost empty, it was almost empty. And I walked by and I saw up at the top, trapped in the, in the corn crib, was a mourning dove. A mourning dove. And I went to Billy and said, Billy, there's a mourning dove trapped in the corn crib. Billy, get your BB gun, Billy, get your BB gun. You know? And he's like, oh, no, no, we can't. That's near the house and the barns, right between the house and the barns. You know? No, we can't. Mom will be really, Billy, it's trapped. This is your chance to actually shoot something. Go get the, go get your gun. So Billy's, well, let me just come and look at it. And he carries his BB gun out with me. And he comes out, and there it was, fluttering around the top, trying to find its way out of the corn crib. And I'm like, Billy, you got it. You can get it. No. Mom, mom will, mom will, no, mom will be very upset. She won't find out. Come on, Billy. I was a great little brother, right? So she won't find out. Come on, Billy. Go get, go shoot it. Go shoot it. Try to shoot it. So, okay. And, and it didn't take too much prodding because he really wanted to shoot something too. I'll never forget. He goes in this corn crib and we're standing inside. It's got one of those tin roofs up there, cone shaped. And he shoots it, misses, and the BB comes ricocheting down. We're dodging, you know. He keeps missing and dodging. And I'm like, come on, Billy, you can get it. And finally, and it wasn't a pump, so it wasn't powerful. It wasn't that strong of a BB gun. It was just a one, you know, one pump. And, and finally he hit the, the, the morning dove in the wing, hit it in the wing, and, it, and I remember it came fluttering down. And it wasn't 
going to die, but the wing was hurt just enough that it couldn't fly now because he had hit it in the wing. And I'm like, you got it, Billy. You got it, Billy. Shoot him again. Shoot him again. And Billy goes running over and starts shooting at him again, shooting him. And then, then, he, then he's wounded this bird. I'm sorry. I'm upsetting some of you. But anyway, hey, he's wounded this bird. And it was, it, it, was, it, was, it was like couldn't move anymore. And Billy gets up right up close to him. He gets right up to it. And he's just shooting it. Shooting it. Shoot it, Billy. Shoot it. And he's, he's got it right up there. He's just pumping it. And it, it was, it, it's hard to kill a morning devil with these weak little BB guns, and it, 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 you know, there was you know, bullet holes all over it, but it was still alive, and I'll never forget, I was watching this, and it looked up at us with the saddest eyes you ever saw, and I've had tears start coming down my face, and I was like, I started to cry, it was so sad to see this bird dying and Billy just shooting it and and I was like and I was like I started to cry and I remember I staggered out of the corn crib crying and by the time I got to the house I was wailing I was so upset crying crying I went into the house and my mom said well, Chucky what's the matter what happened what's the matter I said Billy shot a morning dove and he just keeps shooting it and shooting it and he won't stop he's just shooting it. I was just crying she said, Chucky come here she grabbed my hand she goes wrong out there and she went out and my mom when she she was very mild mannered but when she got mad she was a raging bull you know she goes running out there and and I'll never forget I was found her behind her she was going so fast she gets to the morning dove gets to the corn crib and here's Billy with his back to her <laughs> shooting it shooting it it was Almost dead. And, and, uh, and she come in and she goes, Billy! You know how moms have that voice? You know, this was her, Billy! And, and I used to love using that. Whenever he did something bad, I'd go, Billy! And he'd jump. i go, ha, 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 ha. So, but, but she said it. And he, I'll never forget. He went, <gasps> he rid, you got rigid. He turns around. She goes, what are you doing? Did you shoot this morning dove? You know, obviously, you know, about a hundred holes in it. It's dead now. And, and she goes, give me that gun. And she grabbed him with the gun with one hand, grabbed him with the other, and just stormed off to the house. Now I'm running along behind crying, 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 you know. And she like, oh, Billy had crossed the line. He had crossed the line with my mom. She said, you will never, oh, she was screaming at him. You will never see this gun until you're 12. A year from now, you'll see the gun. And Billy was in the other room. I remember I walked in after I finished crying. And then I went in and Billy was just sitting there real meek and humble and, you know, chastised and hoping he wasn't going to get really chastised by my dad. But I, and so then, so I walked in and go, Billy, that was, that was really mean. And, and Billy's like, wait a minute. I'll never forget his face. He goes, wait a minute. You're the one who told me to shoot it. I go, yeah, I told you to shoot it, but I didn't say kill it. You know, so, you know, he's still mad at me over losing his BB gun. But Billy had crossed the line. So I thought he, would, he was going to kill me after that. But uh, good thing he didn't have the BB gun. But he had crossed the line and it cost him his gun. And we're going to see a story today of crossing God's line today. His line of mercy and grace. The last time we saw God gave Ahab, last time we talked about this, we saw God gave Ahab grace that he was not looking for. Remember? He gave him these victories and battles that he wasn't even looking for. Did he appreciate it? No. He wasted God's grace. Now we talked about that. He wasted God's grace. And not only that, but we'll see today that he and Jezebel crossed the line of God's mercy and grace in this next, very next episode of their life. And there's some very important lessons for us which we'll connect the dots to after we get through this, okay? Father, we thank you for the worship today. We thank you for your word. We just pray that your Holy Spirit 
would take us a step forward in our, our spiritual walk, would move us forward into your mercy and grace because of today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 1 Kings 21. Let's pick it up with the first couple of verses here. Verses 1 to 3, where it says, Sometime later, this is right after the whole fiasco last time we saw of Ahab. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The, va- the vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Samaria and Ahab said to Naboth, Let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Now Ahab wanted his vineyard. And Naboth says, No way. He tries to buy the vineyard, but, but, but he refuses the king. Why? Why? Because God had forbidden the Israelites to give up their inheritance. Once they received their inheritance, way back in the book of Joshua, remember that? They had to stay in the family. They were said, never give up your inheritance. In fact, in Numbers 36, 7, I'll just read you one verse regarding this. In Numbers 36, 7, no inheritance in Israel is to pass from one tribe from tribe to tribe, for every Israelite shall keep the tribal land inherited from his forefathers. This was a command of God. Don't give up your inheritance. It was a command. So, it reminds me of uh, our, my dad's farm. Our farm, I got a picture here. Mikey got a picture there. Here's a picture of our farm uh, from years ago, probably 30 years ago now. That's what it was like when I was growing up on it. And uh, my dad, uh, the fa- it's been in the family Ever since we, it was bought from the Holland Land Company, uh, the Holland Land Company, 1836, they were selling this area of New York. This was considered the Wild West. This was the, the Wild West at that time. And uh, it, it was opened up by the Erie Canal. People could finally get to this land, and it was the Wild West. And that was when my family became the first owners. I didn't say the first occupants. We find arrowheads everywhere. But the first owners of the land. And the, um, they bought it 1836, and it's been in the family ever since. Ever since. And I know when my dad, as he grew older, and I would be like, Dad, sell the farm. You know, retire. You know, there's, you know, Amish trying to buy the land all over there all the time. I said, Pell, he goes, no, this has been in the family ever since. I just don't ever want to give it up. And then he finally even divided it up. There's five kids. He divided it up among the five kids. And we all got our, our parcel, you know, 50 acres. And, and uh, he gave us all, you know, that, that land. And he said, I don't want you to sell it. I want you to hang on to it. Don't sell it. It'll be tempting, you know, making a quick buck. But hang on to it. Keep this. It's been in the family. It's very important to have land. Don't ever give it up. So out in Western New York, I have my 50 acres. I call it my Ponderosa. I was a big Bonanza fan. But uh, yeah, my Ponderosa. And, but he really wants us to keep it in the family. If we're going to ever get rid of it, he wants us to you know, sell it to other family members, but keep it in the family. And this is a good picture of the Old Testament inheritance. God, once he gave it to the Israelites, he said, don't give it up. It's a good picture of of the Old Testament inheritance, which is also a picture. Remember the Old Testament? It's a physical picture of of a, a, a spiritual reality. Everything in the Old Testament, physical picture of a spiritual reality. It's a picture of our New Testament inheritance. That's why it's so vital. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ and give your life to him, the moment you say, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me, for my sin. 
I believe he paid for that. I'm putting my faith in him for the forgiveness. I'm putting my faith in him to give me a brand new life. I give my life to Jesus Christ. The moment you do that, you inherit amazing blessings from God. Incredible. Read the book of Ephesians. It's mind-boggling what we've, in, what we've inherited and we have as a spiritual inheritance. And that, this land is a picture of our New Testament inheritance, which is a spiritual one. You, we may not have own land, but, I, you know, but you may not have 50 acres like I do. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm joking. You know, a ponderosa like I have. But, but we all have a spiritual inheritance. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we have a spiritual inheritance. Never trade your spiritual inheritance. Just like God said, don't trade your inheritance physical. Don't. That command is for us to never trade our spiritual inheritance. Never trade the blessings that God has given us for anything that Satan offers us, for anything that the world offers us. Don't ever trade it. And I see people do it all the time. I see it in ministry. I've been in ministry 35 years now. I've seen it in ministry many times. I've seen it. You, you watch TV and there's all these celebrity shows. And, and you'll see some Christian going on with these celebrity shows. And, and, they're, and they're, they come in and they start out, I'm a commit Christian. I'm a committed Christian. And by the end of the celebrity show, they've compromised everything. They've, they've completely thrown their faith away. It's shocking. But they traded the fame and the celebrity for their Christian faith. They threw away their blessings. But we, we do the same thing. Don't ever trade your spiritual blessing. Verse 4, look what Naboth says. Naboth stays faithful to God. So Ahab, verse 4, went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. Ahab throws a temper tantrum, right? Ahab is sullen and angry. Where have we heard that before? Last time we were, you know, last time I spoke, right? Uh, was, we're starting to see a life pattern. Remember 2043, after he was confronted by the prophet for sin, not by, for disobeying God, for incomplete obedience. Verse 43, sullen and angry, the king of Israel went to his palace in Samaria. That's when he was confronted for his disobedience, for his lack of complete obedience. And Ahab is a, remember what I said? A narcissist. He's a narcissist. It's all about me. All right? That's, that's Ahab's mantra. He wouldn't take responsibility for his actions before. And now he won't take no for an answer. At least not without pouting. <laughs> Yeah, he's pouting. He's a narcissist. You know, you know, Laurel, Laurel just was two. Now she turned three just this week. And, and we haven't had a, a two slash three year old in a long time. You know, we've been, we've gone through it many times, but it's been a long time, seven years. And Kim is like, what are we doing? You know, because everything's a battle. You know, not only she's, you know, not only uh, she's as stubborn as she is cute. Let me just say that. Uh, she's as stubborn as she is cute. And Kim's like, how did I get such a strong-willed child at this age? Doesn't God know? Uh, so anyway, I, I, but when you say no, oftentimes there's lots of drama, you know, lots of drama at our house. And, and uh, it, but you expect it from a strong-willed two-slash-three-year-old, right? You expect that. But What's tragic, what's sad, is when someone never grows up emotionally. And now they're an adult and they still have that same attitude. They never grow up emotionally. They never grow up spiritually. And they can't take no for an answer. Without, you know, they, just, they act like a two or three-year-old. It's very common in the USA today, isn't it? 
A lot of people have never grown up. Uh, some people say a whole generation, but we won't get into that today, millennials. Anyway, uh, verses 5 to 7. Verses 5 to 7. Jezebel to the rescue. Jezebel to the rescue. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, Because I said to Naabeth, the Jezreelite, Sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. <laughs> you, know, you can just hear it, right? Jezebel, his wife said, Is this how you act as a king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I will get you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Ooh, okay. So Jezebel to the rescue. Ahab tells her his side of the story, but he leaves out the most important part. What did he leave out? That Naboth was obeying God. (laughs) He left the spiritual part out, didn't he? Uh, What a shock. All he could think about was how it affected him. It's all about Ahab, the narcissist, right? That's all he could think about. And Jezebel does the worst thing possible. She enables him. She enables him. That's the worst thing you can do with with a spoiled brat. And I'm saying it to all the parents out there in podcast land too. Uh, You know, the worst thing we can do is enable the brat. She sympathizes with his distorted, twisted disappointment and offers to help him. That's the last thing this guy needed, spiritually, emotionally, right? But she, that's what she did. And sadly, I see it a lot. It's one of the hardest things for me as a pastor is seeing so many people. I'm trying to help someone with a spiritual issue and a friend or family member, or even somebody in the church, a friend of theirs in the church, enable them. We all are tempted to do it, aren't we? We want to stay their friend. We want to, you know, not upset them. And we end up enabling them. And, and a lot of times I feel like I'm going at it alone. I, I tell someone, this is what you need to do. And a group of people don't back me up. You know, they, they kind of like don't want to upset them, don't want to, whatever. That's called enabling them. I knew, and I'll give you a specific example. Uh, there was a guy here years ago, been long enough now I can tell the story. He was a, 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 had a problem with drugs. He was a drug addict. And he would get, get cleaned and he would fall and he'd get cleaned and fall. And there was a lot of other baggage that went along with that. And his mom c- came to church and brought him and his wife and family members. They're all here. And they didn't like, she, his mom did not like the consequences of what he was doing. She didn't like the consequences. But every time we would try to get him taking a step forward, if he would dig in his heels a little, she would rescue him or enable him. And, and I'll never forget, finally, they, I remember one time they asked me to intervene. I was asked to intervene by one of the family members, and I intervened. It was very serious. What he, he was involved in some very serious sin. Could have got him in jail. Maybe it did. He was in and out of jail. And, uh, and, and I never forget. It ended up, he, they, ever all, they all rescued and enabled. Once he dug in his heels and threw his tantrum, his mom jumped in and rescued and enabled him. And they all ended up mad at me. You invited me into this mess. You asked me to help. I tried to save him from going back to jail because what he was doing was even not, it wasn't even drug related. It was something else worse. He was going to end up in jail. I'm trying to help. But you're all, because he's throwing a tantrum and pouting, you're rescuing. And I said it to him, you are enabling him. This boy has no chance. Well, they all left. They're all mad at me. They all left. They don't come anymore. Ah, God knows where they are. But there was no hope. There was no hope for that young man in that family. 
because she's enabling. That's the last thing. But then, then we see Jezebel not only enabled, very important not to enable, but not only enabled, but look at verses 8 to 10, the evil plan. So she wrote letters, verse 8, in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters she wrote, proclaim a day of fasting, and seat Naboth in the and a prominent place among the people, but seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them testify that he has cursed both God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. Jezebel, the wicked witch, hatches her evil plan. It was forgery. It was hypocrisy, calling a fast. <laughs> That's a funny thing, right? Jezebel, the bow worshiper, the murderess, uh, murdering the prophets of God, calling a fast, and, and then lying, all these things. But the worst part is she used God's name. She used God's name in her plan, like she cares about Jehovah. And she, she's been murdering his followers. She uses God's name, but that's what we see even today. The wicked today often use God's name. They spiritualize it sometimes. It's crazy. They use God's name to do evil. They do evil in God's name. And it's unbelievable. Uh, I'll use a couple easy examples from history. We see this in... Uh, the crusade, the, first, the crusades. Now we all know what the crusades and what they did, you know, going over to the Middle East and, and, you know, fighting the Muslims and all that stuff, which was, was sad. Although, don't, let's not forget why those lands were Muslim in the first place. Because the Muslims had conquered those lands with a sword and murdered the Christians and wiped them out. That's why they were like that. So, what the Crusaders did was no worse than what the, the, the Muslims act like they're these victims, right, over there in the, in the Middle East. They had done the same thing before, and they just did it a lot better. They wiped everybody out. Uh, but the Crusades did a lot of evil, too, a lot of bad things. But what most people don't know is that the Crusades weren't started to go take the Holy Land from the Muslims. The first Crusade was started to attack evangelical Christians in France. The evangelical Christians that were part of the Roman Catholic Church, these popes were so wicked, so apostate, just like Jezebel here. These, these popes at that time were so wicked that they sent the first crusade because this, the, the evangelicals in France got their hands on the Bible and said, wait, hold on, there's no pope here. There's just the Bible. And Jesus is the head of the church. And salvation by faith. And they started following the Bible and he was so incensed, the pope was so incensed, he was losing his grip, his power, uh, not spiritual power, but other power, right? He, he sent the first crusade and they massacred the evangelical Christians in France. That was the start of the Crusades. Thousands and thousands of them just killed them. The Inquisition's the same thing. The Inquisition was started by these wicked popes, and obviously the Pope now is not like this, but the Pope at that time, I have spiritual issues with the Pope today, uh, you know, the doctrinal issues, theological issues, but I don't have, you know, he's not like these other popes, you know, at least, he, at least he's, you know, trying to, to follow, you know, spiritually, uh, even though he's wrong on a lot of things, especially salvation by faith. That's the key, key, key one. Uh, the rest we can not worry about. But the, the, these popes were so wicked that they started the Inquisition. And they started because a lot of the Roman Catholic believers would follow the Bible. They would get their hands on the Bible and they'd follow the Bible and they, and they, they would follow what the Bible said versus what these popes were coming up with, which was completely anti-biblical. And unfortunately, a lot of his baggage that still continues today, unfortunately, it's Bible alone. 
Stick to the Bible. Just compare it. If you're a Roman Catholic and you're hearing this, read the Bible and compare to what you're being taught. Okay, there's a lot of good stuff. 90% is good, but 10% is not biblical. Very, very important. And so what they would do, and I know a lot of you are, are uh, Roman Catholic background, some Catholic, you know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, I have a lot of great friends who are Roman Catholic. I love them dearly. I know a lot of born-again Roman Catholic Christians. Love them dearly. But, but unfortunately, the, the top, the Pope's teaching, has, it is, the doctrine is off about 10%, and it's a vital 10%. But anyway, these Popes way back were wicked, wicked, wicked. They weren't any, nothing Christian about them at all. They were just political rulers, vicious. And they would, they would use the Inquisition to take the Roman Catholics that weren't going along with their twisted teaching, that wanted to follow the Bible, and they would torture them to death or burn them at the stake and kill them. And they killed, and this went on for years and years. And finally, when the Reformation happened, when the Reformation, the, the you know, the, the split off and the Protestant, protest, the Protestant Reformation, they used that same Inquisition are not just the Roman Catholic real true believers, but the Protestant true believers. And they were still using this. The Inquisition, a lot of people think, wow, well, it happened in Spain for a couple years. It went on for 500 years. Even longer, if you want to stretch a couple boundaries, but at least 500 years. And we hear about all the Muslims they killed and the Jews they killed. It's true, they did that. But, but the, the even worse wickedness is they used it on the Roman Catholics that were trying to follow Jesus Christ in the Bible. And they used it on the, the when, when the Reformation happened and the, and the, the break, they used it on whole countries of, of Protestants. They've used it on anybody who tries to follow, truly follow Jesus Christ. For 500 years, millions of Christians were killed. Thank God it's no longer enforced. Thank God you know, the Pope today would never do that. Thank God for that. But it makes the point that the wicked will often use God's law and God's name to carry out their wickedness. It's been all throughout history we see that same thing. So, back to verse 11. The uh, elders are happy to carry out their evil plan. Listen to what they do. They're more than happy to join in. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she had written to them. They proclaimed the fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. These wicked, the wicked are hypocrites who claim to care about God's law, right? Like they really care about God's law. They're, they're hypocrites. We see it today. People attacking Christians and using, well, the Bible says blah, 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 and they'll attack Christians, you know. It's just wickedness. And they, they pretend about, they pretend to care about God's law when it suits their purposes. Their purposes. They were, these elders were wicked Baal worshippers. They weren't part of the 7,000. There were only 7,000 people in Israel who had not bowed their knee to Baal. They weren't in that 7,000. They were wicked. They should have all already been stoned to death if they were really going to follow God's law, right? They were so wicked that in 2 Kings 9.26, it, it says that they not only stoned Naboth, but they stoned his sons. They stoned his sons too, so there could be no inheritors of this land, so Ahab could get it. And what does Ahab do? Verses 15 and 16. Ahab says here, 
As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that has refused to sell you. He is no longer alive, but is dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Ahab owns it. Until that point, he didn't own it. He owns it. He shares in the sin. Even if we don't carry out a specific act, if we own it, if we share in it, we are just as guilty as the person who did it. I'll give you a really easy example. It reminds me of today of, of the whole stem cell battle and using the aborted baby stem cells for treatments. And these celebrities get on and go, oh, we need this, I need this, I have a problem, I have Parkinson's, I need to use stem cells, I have this problem, I need to use the baby, aborted baby stem cells. Well, you talk about narcissism. To take an, a, a murdered baby stem cell to get yourself better in some way is the ultimate form of narcissism. I pray to God that we would never join in something like that. Verses 17 to 19, we see Ahab's response, but in verse 17 to 19, we see God's response. Here it comes. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite. Go down and meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. And then he goes on to, we'll see in the next few weeks, even more detailed judgment that is coming. God's response is that Ahab and Jezebel had crossed the line of God's mercy and grace. God is very patient. It's a long, long way to that line, but when we cross that, we have crossed that line. No one gets away with anything. God sees everything. He makes everything right in his time. In his time. It reminds me of that movie Jumper. I remember years ago there was that movie Jumper, and I, used, I liked it because this guy had the ability to jump to another place. He could just like move his body and like zip from here to the pyramids, you know, or something. And he, and he started realizing his power and he started going all these crazy, he'd go into bank vaults. Matthew and I watched it, remember? Matthew when he was a young man and, and he would go into bank vaults and he'd steal and he would do, you know, he would end up with some girl somewhere. He did all kinds of naughty things, bad things. And I'll never forget this hunter, I think it was Morgan Freeman who played the part, the hunter. He finally hunted him and caught him with some kind of a trap. And, and, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, you think you can go on like this forever? He's talking to the jumper. Living your life with no consequences? There are always consequences. Always consequences. I was like, oh. I was like I'll never forget, there are always consequences. God knows exactly where we are at all times, and he will act in his time. Ahab, we're going to see, will get his in chapter 22, as we will see in a few weeks. Ahab's sons are killed by Jehu. Remember that crazy guy, Jehu? They're going to all be killed by Jehu. In fact, his own son, who was the king at the time, his body gets dumped in Naboth's vineyard. 
His son, the king, gets dumped in Naboth's vineyard, his body, and all of his sons are butchered. Just like he killed Naboth's sons, he owned that. All of his sons would be killed. Jezebel, we'll see at time, is going to be eaten by dogs, murdered and eaten, not murdered, killed, ex-killed and, and eaten by dogs, and is now in hell for all of eternity. She is in hell for all of eternity. But Naboth went immediately to Abraham's Bosom, immediately to Abraham's bosom, and then after Jesus Christ paid for our sins on the cross, he went into the presence of God where he is with Jesus Christ now in heaven for all of eternity. He kept his inheritance. Even though he was killed for it, he still kept his inheritance. And he will have his spiritual inheritance for all of eternity. All of eternity. And this is important because we need to keep a biblical perspective. We see all these bad things happen to Christians. Christians are being butchered all over the world. And it's coming here. They're being killed all over the world. And you say, wow, God, why would he let this happen? Listen, they kept their inheritance. We have to remember the biblical perspective that this is a blink. This life that we live, whether it's 10 years or 100 years, it's a blink in eternity. A blink. But it's a very important twinkling of the eye because this life determines our eternal life. Whether it's a year or a hundred years, it determines our eternal life. It determines where we will spend eternity. It's determined by what we do or don't do right here, right now. And the vast majority of human beings on this planet are going to spend eternity in hell. No matter what Oprah says. Oprah's come up with her old plan, and most Americans have accepted Oprah's plan. But no matter what Oprah says, they're, they're going to spend their eternity in hell. In fact, listen to, what, listen to what Jesus Christ says. In Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide, wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small... But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. I don't care what Oprah says. Jesus Christ says only a few are going to find heaven. Because there is only one way. There is one way. The world says there's many ways. But the Bible, Jesus said there is one way. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is the only way. That is the only gate. The only way. And we must put our faith in Jesus Christ. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him, that word for believe is to put our faith in. The word believe doesn't mean an intellectual, it means a heart faith. To completely put our faith in. When we say, God, I believe my sin has cut me off from eternity with you. My sin has cut me off from the holy God. My, my sin has is, is, is made me depraved. And, and I, the only hope of heaven, the only hope of having a relationship with you once again is Jesus Christ died on a cross in our place. He was a substitute in our place because he never sinned, never did anything wrong. He voluntarily took our sins on himself on that cross and he says that all you need to do now, you cannot earn it, you can't pay your own way, you can't get into heaven by being good enough. There's nothing, there's only way you can get there is by putting your faith 
in Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And he proved it by his resurrection from the dead. He proved his words by coming alive again from the dead and then ascending into heaven. He proved it. Oprah won't be standing at the gate. St. Peter won't be standing at the gate. They won't be there. Jesus Christ will be at the gate. He is the gate. He is the only one. And he, there will only be one question when we arrive at that gate. Why should you get into heaven? Why should I let you into heaven? That's the only question. And there's only one answer. Most people, I've been good. I jumped through religious hoops. I was baptized as a baby. I made some kind of confession, you know, profession. Uh, you know, I go to church every week. I give money. I've been good. I never killed anybody. But none of that, all that is going to get is the gong. There's only one answer that will allow us to pass through the gate of Jesus Christ. To go through Jesus. And that is going through Jesus to say, because I've put my faith in you, Jesus. I gave my life to you. Nothing I've done. Can't earn it. Nothing I can do. I just put my faith in you. And whether you're Roman Catholic, whether you're, whether you're Protestant, whether you're Methodist, whether you're Episcopal, whether, none of that means anything. All that matters is when we come to that gate, I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And I ask that question to a lot of people. And I'm going to tell you, the vast majority answer it wrong. They come up with something they've done. Religious or try to be good. But there's one answer. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. How about us? How about us? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? How about us? Are we getting close to God's line of mercy and grace? Are we getting ready, getting close to that? Maybe you're here and you've closed that. I, I think of the USA. I'm afraid the USA is standing on the cliff. 9-11 was this week, right? And it all had a lot of memories. But hey, that was God's warning. And we have not taken it to heart. I'm very concerned for this country. But it's not too late. You know why? Because we're still here. The USA is still here today. And while we're still here, we can still reach out for God's mercy and grace. And we're seeing more and more people in America, more and more Christians doing that. The same goes for us for, as individuals. The line of mercy, and this is going to say, the line of mercy and grace can be approached two ways. We've been talking about approaching it into judgment. But the line of God's mercy and grace can also be crossed in a positive direction. We can cross that line of mercy and grace into salvation. We can come a, a positive direction. They crossed it, Ahab and Jezebel crossed it negatively into judgment. But we can cross that line of mercy and grace and find God's mercy and grace in a positive direction. We can find salvation. Anyone, at any time, in spite of anything that we have done, can come to the cross for God's mercy and grace. Many people think it's too late for me. I've done too much. It's too late for me. I messed up too much. But listen, if you are still breathing, it's not too late. Until your last breath. Think of the thief on the cross. Until our last breath, we can still turn to Jesus. No matter what we have done. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. I hope you have this one memorized. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, it says... Do, not, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. It's what we all were, right? We could add to that list, couldn't we? You've been in our testimony times. We could all add to that list. But look what he says, and that, some of us, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Washed, sanctified, justified, just as if I never sinned in God's presence before him, through the blood of Jesus Christ, that can be us. No matter what, we can have God's mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting something we don't deserve. And that's what we get from Jesus Christ. We don't get what we deserve, we get God's mercy. We don't get the punishment, we get God's mercy. We, and we don't get, and we get something we don't deserve, grace. We get eternal life and, and, and God's strength to live day by day. That's what, we, that's what we get, mercy and grace. Have you come to the cross of Jesus Christ for mercy and grace? If you have, as Christians, I want to say this, as Christians, our are we living by that mercy of gra- and grace? Or have we been trading our inheritance for something else? Have we been trading our spiritual blessings for the world's lies? Have we traded any of our inheritance, any of our blessings? Don't trade God's long-term blessings for short-term gratification. Sin is a lie. If sin was really so great, God will let us have it. God would give us anything that's really great for us. But the fact that he says, don't do these things, they're sin. He's telling us it's not good for us. It's a lie. It's a deception. Sin is a lie, a big empty lie, a spiritually destructive lie, a demonic lie. And we have to learn to trust God and to stay away from it. I mean, when I was in Florida, when Kim and I went for our, our anniversary a while, a couple months ago, seems like years, but anyway, uh, we were at the anniversary, I'll never forget, I would get up early and she would sleep and I'd get up early and, and I would take walks. It was still dark. It was still dark because I get up pretty early. If you've ever got one of my texts or emails, you know what I'm talking about. But I get up early and, and I remember I was on this great walk and there was this big body of water and I love to walk around lakes and stuff and it was a little man-made lake there. And, and then there was, and I, then I saw the sign. Beware. Alligators. <laughs> it wasn't so much fun walking after that. It was dark, first of all, and I'm looking at everything. Is that a log or an alligator? And, and I didn't go near the water anymore. And, and I was really, you know what I'm talking about, Woody. I was being careful. I was watching out because I didn't want to be one of those people that got pulled into the water by an alligator, you know, dumb Yankee, you know, getting pulled into the water. And so, so I, so I, I was being so careful and I was, and I, and I remember just being really careful until it got lighter that I was a little more bold, but I was scared. I did not go near the water. And anything that looked like it could have teeth, I stayed away from it. Whether it was a leaf or a, a log or a bush, I just kind of stayed away from everything. You laugh, but isn't that what we should do with sin? What do we do? Let's look into the alligator's mouth. How long can I stare into his mouth, put my head into the mouth? How long can I do that for and not get bit? Isn't that what we do with sin? But we should, the, the alligator, sin is the alligator. We should be like, no, don't even go near it. Don't even be near it. But it's a battle, isn't it? It's a battle. We must cross 
in order to fight this battle, in order to have victory in our life, we must cross the line of mercy and grace daily. Not just as to become a Christian, but daily in order to, to, in a positive direction. We have to cross that line of mercy and grace in a positive direction every day if we're going to have our victory. Hebrews 4, last verse I'm going to give you before we close in prayer. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. 16. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And here it comes. Therefore, let us approach the throne, because Jesus is there, our high priest. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have to constantly come before God, the Father, through Jesus Christ and get that mercy and grace. Every day, God, please forgive me. I'm struggling. I got this something I got to, you know, repent of. You know, even just the desire alone, I got to repent of it. You know, God, help me and then give me the grace. Not just the mercy, but the grace. Give me the strength to fight this. Give me the strength to battle this. It's constant, ongoing, mercy and grace. That should be how we breathe. You know, you breathe, you know, it should be mercy and grace, mercy and grace. That should just be the way we breathe. We need it constantly to win this battle. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us? How is the Holy Spirit moving in our hearts, convicting speaking to us right now. Maybe we've traded part or even all of our inheritance for the world's lies. Today, I hope your prayer is, I'm going to take it back. We can take our inheritance back. Whatever it takes. God, I want to take my inheritance back, whatever it takes. Whatever I have to do, whoever I have to tell, whatever I have to sacrifice or give up, if I have to move to another country, whatever it takes, I want to take my inheritance back, whatever it takes. Through your mercy and grace. Every time we breathe, it's mercy and grace. And while we're praying about that, maybe you're here today and you've never come to the cross. You've never taken that first step. You've never come to the cross of Jesus Christ and received mercy and grace. Maybe you've never come to the cross and you even might be hearing this and thinking, it's too late for me, but it's not true. It's not too late. It can be what you were, whatever it was. You can receive God's mercy and grace today, right now. Now is the day of salvation. A simple prayer of faith. There's no religious rules you have to follow. There's no religious rites. There's nothing you can do except Put your faith in Jesus. The simple prayer of faith. God, please forgive me. 
I repent. I don't want the world's lies anymore. I don't want the world's garbage. I don't want sin anymore. I don't want my old life anymore. I want Jesus. I want your blessings. I want to live a real life with purpose and joy and peace with you, God. I believe in Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to you, God. If you have prayed that simple prayer of faith, something amazing has happened to you. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you and you will never be the same. I want to encourage you to tell somebody today, even before you leave, maybe a family member or a friend or somebody today, Tell me on the way out, fill out the card, text, call, email. Let somebody know today so that we can encourage you and be excited for you and help you in your new life in Jesus. Father, I pray that every person who hears this will put their faith in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that every one of us would know your mercy and grace in a powerful way, no matter what we're going through, no matter what trial, no matter what spiritual battle, no matter what fears or depression we're fighting, no matter what we're facing, Lord, I pray that we would know your mercy and grace in a powerful way. I pray that we would hang on to the blessings and the inheritance you've given us. We would know those blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.